I read this week that marketing executives need to have, they say that businesses need to have their holiday plans and promotions in place by August. And it seems that by the time kids are back into school that the collective shopping focus all turns to Christmas. I I love the meme that says, it's never too early for Christmas decorations if you never take them down. It can seem that, that Christmas is always in front of us, but, but a world without Christmas? No Christmas carols? No silent night? No away in a manger? No hark the herald? No O come, O come, Emmanuel? No Christmas trees? No Christmas parties? No school Christmas programs? No Christmas movies? No Elf, no Home Alone, no Christmas story, no Christmas vacation, no It's a Wonderful Life, no lights, no Mariah Carey Christmas memes, no presents, no family get-togethers, no nativity scenes, no mangers, no peace, no Christ no Savior. It's hard to imagine, isn't it? But perhaps even more tragic is a world with Christmas that you're completely unaware of. Joshua Bell emerged from the metro and he positioned himself against a wall beside a trash can. By most accounts, he was nondescript. A young man in jeans, a long sleeve shirt, and a Washington Nationals baseball hat. From a small case, he removed a violin. Placing the open case at his feet, he shrewdly threw in a few dollars and some pocket change as seed money, and he began to play. For the next 45 minutes in the D.C. metro on January 12, 2007, Bell played Mozart and Schubert as over a thousand people streamed by, most hardly taking notice. If they had paid attention, they might have recognized the young man for the world-renowned violinist he is. They also might have noticed the violin he played, a rare Stradivarius worth over $3 million. It was all part of a project arranged by the Washington Post, an experiment in context, perception, and priorities, as well as an unblinking assessment of public taste. In an ordinary setting, at an inconvenient time, would beauty transcend? Just three days earlier, Joshua Bell had sold out the Boston Symphony Hall with ordinary seats going in excess of $100. In the subway, Bell received about $32 from the 27 people who stopped long enough to give a donation. 2,000 years ago, God in the flesh arrived in the little town of Bethlehem, and hardly anybody noticed. Today, as we conclude our Christmas series, the night before Christmas, we turn our attention to Bethlehem, a town seemingly unaware of God's work in their midst. They were oblivious to Christmas. Let's stand as we read this story together, Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, 
and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. There's something very interesting when you read between the lines of verse 16. The shepherds went and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. That's it. Where's everyone else? Where's the media? Where's CNN and Fox News? Where's the Jerusalem Post? Where's the crowds of local citizens trying to get a glimpse of the new king? Where are the government officials arriving to congratulate the happy parents? They're nowhere to be found. The Savior of the world is in their town, and nobody knows, and nobody cares. People went about their daily routines, caught up in the mundane details of life. Little did they know that this ordinary night held the key to extraordinary transformation. Compare that to what it would be like if Taylor Swift announced that she was bringing her Eras tour to the Honeywell Center. It'd be sold out in five minutes. And if you're not a Swifty, then let's say if, if Paul McCartney was coming to Wabash, or if Elon Musk said that he was going to come and take a tour of Ford Meter Box, the place would be a zoo of people trying to see him. The town where my family lived in Texas was the home to Chris Kyle. And if you've ever seen the movie American Sniper, it tells the story of Chris Kyle, who was the most prolific sniper in U.S. military history. And the actor who played Chris Kyle in this movie was Bradley Cooper. And during filming, Bradley Cooper came to visit Midlothian. And uh, he wanted to get a better feel for uh, the environment and meet extended family and better understand this character. And the entire town was on high alert. Everybody wanted to know where Bradley Cooper was. There was like minute-by-minute post. He's going out of this store. He's entering this restaurant. People were saying, where is he now? Where is he going? Everybody wanted to see him. Now let's go back to Bethlehem. How many bakers and doctors and farmers and merchants walked right past that stable that night? literally a few feet away from the Christ child, and they didn't even know. How many kids walked home from school and they saw the donkey in the stable, but they missed the manger? Isn't it interesting that not much has changed in 2,000 years? 
How many people walk through life completely oblivious to God's work in His presence? People go to school, they get jobs, they get married, have kids, play sports, go to the movies, travel on vacation, spend money, all the while completely oblivious to God. It reminds me of Paul's encounter with the people in Athens in Acts chapter 17. He he told this group of, of unaware people, he said, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. You see, even if you have spent much of your life oblivious to God and his work in this world, you need to know that God is much closer than you think. He is here. Just look around. Your very life is a gift from the God you ignore. He is the one who gives you breath and life and everything else. Your existence comes from a holy creator who created you in His image. Are you aware of that this Christmas? Or are you like Bethlehem? Bethlehem was oblivious. The Christmas story reminds us that in our ordinary lives, God is often working behind the scenes, orchestrating moments of grace and transformation. This Christmas, are you oblivious or are you aware? Outside of the city, there were shepherds in the fields. Like the rest of Bethlehem, it was just another day. You've seen those signs that say, eat, pray, love. For the shepherds, it was eat, sheep, sleep. This was the life of of a shepherd. Remember, there was no Christmas anticipation. We often feel bad for someone when they have to work on Christmas. Nobody felt sorry for the shepherds because there was no Christmas. These ordinary guys on this ordinary night were interrupted by an angelic proclamation. In their fields, Under the vast expanse of the night sky, they became witnesses to the extraordinary. We read in verse 9 of Luke 2, An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. What we see is that the most extraordinary encounters happen in the most ordinary moments. This is what happened to another shepherd 1,400 years earlier. Moses was tending his flocks in the wilderness, just an ordinary day like every other day for the past 40 years. And then suddenly, the Lord appeared to him in a burning bush. And his life would never be the same. This happened to another shepherd 
God sent Samuel to anoint the next king of Israel because the Lord had rejected Saul as king. And so Samuel goes to Jesse's house, and Jesse lines up all of his sons. And Samuel says, is that it? Is this all of your sons? And Jesse says, well, well there's one more, the youngest, David, but he's out in the fields tending the sheep. How do you think David felt when he was called in and the Lord told Samuel, anoint him, this is the one? And his life would never be the same. In Matthew chapter 4, Peter and Andrew are on the Sea of Galilee fishing. This wasn't for sport, this was work. They were professional, they were professional fishermen. And they knew all the places in the sea where the fish migrated to. They cast their nets on one side. They would cast their nets on the other side. A normal, ordinary day. And Jesus is walking along the shore, and he calls out to them, Come and follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And their lives would never be the same. The most extraordinary encounters happen in the most ordinary moments. Maybe you came here today, and you're thinking, it's just another Sunday. It's just another Christmas, just like last year and the year before. But today, God is calling your name. Today, God is revealing himself to you. He's meeting you here. When the shepherds encountered the divine, Luke tells us that they said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. When the extraordinary interrupted their ordinary evening, the shepherds were receptive. They were receptive to the Lord's leading. And as we come to this Christmas, are you open or are you closed? On the first Christmas, most were oblivious. The shepherds were receptive. But still, a few others went a step further. The wise men do something that sets them apart, something that, that no one else was doing. It's a bit of a surprise in the Christmas story, but it's so important that it's repeated. We read in Matthew 2, verses 1 and 2, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. It's the word saw or see. The wise men see this star in verse 2. And once they're on their way out of Jerusalem, they again see the star and they follow it until it's in the place where Jesus is in verse 9. And when they see the star seemingly stop over the place where Jesus is, they rejoice in verse 10. And then they see the child with Mary in verse 11. The wise men are repeatedly seen when no one else even looks, much less sees. And that's the surprise. Because when you think about it, if you were a betting person, who would be the odds-on favorite to be looking for the birth of the promised Messiah? The top bet would probably be the scribes and the religious teachers, the, the leaders in Israel. They knew where the Messiah was to be born. 
so much so that they could tell Herod when he asked. So why aren't they camped out in Bethlehem? And if they understandably don't want to live in Bethlehem, then why aren't they scanning all the male births in Bethlehem? We don't know. But they weren't looking. Another good bet would be Herod. We looked at Herod last week. He's the one with power to lose should the Messiah show up. And and he knows about this, even vaguely. Herod was infamous for his insane grip on power. He killed sons and even his favorite wife when he feared that they were trying to, to grab his power. So with that much paranoia to keep control, why wasn't he looking for the Messiah, who was promised all along and who would be a potential rival to him? Why is this the first time that he even bothers with it? And if he didn't want to bother with it, why didn't he make someone somewhere in his administration keep tabs on the situation? We don't know. But Herod wasn't looking. The long shot in this entire story for looking, much less seeing, are the wise men. They had no stake in Israel having a king. They had nothing to gain and nothing to lose from a king being born to Israel. But they were the only ones looking for the Messiah in this story. The wise men were looking. And this isn't like the wise men were able to see something that no one else could. It's not like everybody was looking at an optical illusion and only the wise men were able to go cross-eyed to see what it was was saying. No, it's that the wise men were actually looking when no one else was. What's actually going on here is more comparable to the selective attention test. It's more famously referred to as the invisible gorilla. It was a test done at Harvard University where psychologists put a video together of three people with white shirts and three people with black shirts who were passing a basketball around. Then they asked someone to watch how many times people in a white shirt pass the basketball. Chaos would ensue and people would walk around in a jumbled mess and pass the basketball. And in the middle of all the chaos, a gorilla walked in, pumped its chest, and then walked off. And after people watched the video, the psychologist would ask how many times people in white shirts pass the basketball. Of the people who counted the passes, can you guess how many missed the gorilla? 50%. For half of the people watching the video, the gorilla was invisible, hence the name. They didn't see the gorilla because they weren't looking. And that's this story. Jesus was invisible to everyone who should have seen him because they weren't looking. Except for the unlikely wise men who were actually looking and saw the star leading to Jesus as the true king come. Actually looking is what separated the wise men from everyone else on the scene. And it's what positioned them to respond to God. You see, actually looking is what separates those who respond to God from those who don't know how to respond to Him, because then they can actually see how God is moving. Actually looking is what differentiates those who seize God-given opportunities from those who never seem to catch a break, 
because then they can actually see God open those doors. Actually looking is what enables us to truly celebrate Christmas. In the rush and in the blur of Christmas, the wise men confront us, and they force us to ask, are we actually looking so we can see what God is up to? Are we actually looking around us so we can see what God is doing around us and what opportunities He's opening for us? Or is the gorilla invisible to us? This Christmas, are you looking or are you ignoring? You know, in in my better moments, I'm aware enough to look and I'm seeing, whether it's Christmas or not. But in all honesty, in my more ordinary moments, I can be so oblivious. I don't know exactly what it is, busyness, weariness, distraction, the the weight of expectations I feel, obligations, status quo, you know, holiday plans. For whatever reason, I fail to look, and so many times I don't see. And for those of us who find ourselves in that boat, there's good news today, because God is always working. So all we have to do is stop, stand back, and look so that we can see. We have to stop, at least long enough to be able to stand back and look. Somehow, some way, we have to hit pause long enough in our rush and in the frenzy of Christmas, in our drive to get things done, in our own exhaustion, so that we can stand back and actually look. And if we do this, what do you think we might see? Some of us would probably see spouses or family members who are overwhelmed. We see how they tend to, to carry the bulk of, of the Christmas load in our relationships. If we stood back and and looked, we might see how God would want us to take some of the load off of them so that they can more see Christ at Christmas. If we were to step back and pause and actually look, some of us would see that we ourselves are overwhelmed. But if we're honest, we're overwhelmed with a bunch of stuff that really doesn't matter. We might see how over the years we've kept adding details to our Christmases to make them better, but now we live in an avalanche of details that's just choking us during Christmas. And so we might be able to see how God would want us to hand off some of those details to others, or maybe even not even do them at all, so that we could see Christ at Christmas through slowing down, enjoying the people around us, and simply considering how God came for us. Still, others of us would probably see parents and and other loved ones around us who are doing their best to show us love this Christmas, which we'd otherwise miss because it may not be how we naturally think of it. And we'd see how God would want us to simply say, thank you. But most definitely, if we were to step back and slow down, we would all see Christ at Christmas. Then we'd be able to remind others about His coming. We might also see how God will come back again to redeem and restore us in the entire world, to fulfill a promise not unlike His first promise to actually come. And this would get us thinking about how we can join in with what God will ultimately complete in redeeming and restoring us in this entire world. 
Can I tell you something this Christmas? Wise men still seek Him. Wise men still seek Him. And the greatest decision that any one of us can make this Christmas is to seek the Lord, to seek His will, to seek His working in our lives. Because Jeremiah tells us that you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Three questions that every one of us have to answer this Christmas Eve. Are you oblivious to what God's doing in this world? Or are you aware of His presence? Are you open to what God wants to do in your life? Or is your heart closed? Are you looking for God's work in this world? Or are you ignoring? Would you pray with me? God, there is cause for celebration this morning because you are here. You are with us. And it is so easy to go about our lives oblivious to what you're doing in this world, what you're doing in our lives. But you sent Jesus to be with us so that we would never be alone. So that we might have hope and freedom and forgiveness. You said a Savior was to be born. Jesus was born, He grew up, and He died after living a perfect and sinless life. And God, You are still at work. Each and every day, in the ordinary moments, we see glimpses of the divine. If only we would stop and look and see. God, help us to see Your hand in each and every one of our lives this Christmas. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.